Hello, I'm Oliver Wong, and this is The Sidebar, the intermittent podcast for soul-sides.com. I am joined today by my friend and fellow Cal State sociology professor Michael Barnes of the Melting Pot blog. Both of us are currently exiled to home because of social distancing, and given my personal need to keep active during the great disruption, I blew the dust off of The Sidebar and will be trying to churn out a few episodes during this time. In any case, Michael, welcome to The Sidebar. Always a pleasure, Oliver. I was inspired to have you on because you recently helped me on one of my more nerdy record hunts, and it's really a chase (laughs) that you first put me upon years ago that I only very recently decided to pick up again, which was to track down a very, very specific pressing of Sly and the Family Stone's album, Small Talk. Small Talk came out in 1974. It was the seventh and last album released under the name Sly and the Family Stone of that era because the Family Stone band broke up soon thereafter. And to make matters worse, the cover features Sly with his then newlywed bride Kathleen Silva and their baby Sly Jr. And before Thanksgiving of the same year, they had already broken up. So we have Small Talk, but big endings associated with this LP. Michael, what was your introduction to it? Were you, uh, did you come up as a, as a big Sly Stone fan? Yeah, I've, I've always been uh, a Sly Stone fan um, ever since I was a kid. Uh, you know, like for a lot of us, our, our parents' record collections were kind of our first introduction to a lot of the music that we now love. And Stand was a, a record in, in my family collection. And I just always dug how unique he was. And, um, and also just how so many of his songs were like life lessons, uh, especially with that classic Family Stone era, uh, kind of pre-riot kind of sounds. Um, and then that mix of funk and gospel, psych rock, soul, all getting blended together. I mean, it was it was a, a real big influence on how I hear music and, and the music I love. Um, as far as small talk, I bought this copy in the 90s from Wax and Facts and Little Five Points in Atlanta. And this was an album, like a lot of records during, during that period, kind of where my mind was at, that I picked up solely because of Loose Booty which the Beastie Boys sampled on Shadrach. For years, that's kind of all this album was, just like a one track has a sample on it kind of record. But at some point, I actually sat down and listened to all of it. And, you know, Small Talk isn't really regarded as some of uh, Sly's best work, but, you know, it might be now my favorite record from Sly and Crew. Why is that? I think it's just something about the looseness of, of the record. You know, the, the, the studio chatter that's kind of kind of flows throughout. Um, so it's like a, 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 it's like from Riot to Fresh to Small Talk, like things just get like looser and looser and looser um, for me. And so there's something about that. And then also just um, just the songs, you know, like my, my favorite song from Sly is probably on this record that we're going to talk about. 
small talk. I feel like I came across small talk pretty late, and I'm almost positive I never sat with it uh, in terms of as an end-to-end listen until a few years ago where I was working on a uh, 20-song Sly Stone playlist article for Rolling Stone online, and it's a really good album. I think it and its predecessor, Fresh, were the best of uh, Sly and the Family Stone's 1970s studio albums, or I should say really the best of Sly Stone's studio albums because he certainly released a couple under his just his own name. Um, besides, of course, there's a riot going on. And I'm not, by any means, I'm not a Slyologist, but it's really striking to me how the group went from releasing one of the most iconic albums of the decade with Riot, and then it seems as if, generally speaking, our collective memory of everything else they put in the 70s really vanishes from a lot of critical conversation. Yeah, I I don't don't know if that's... Because Riot is is such a monumentally epic album, and and it it itself was already fallen up stand, which also is a is a massive, incredible album, and you know maybe there was just like no way people could see Sly topping those, or you know it might also have been that you know Riot is kind of the last record with the original lineup, the original band, because everybody kind of takes off after that. Uh, and most everybody is on fresh, but not everybody is on fresh. And by the time you get the small talk, um, you know, it's like half of the original band is there. But um, but yeah, but they're amazing records. Yeah. So let's come back to this very specific issue of small talk that I mentioned earlier. And uh, Michael, you want to talk a little bit about the story behind it? Because again, you're the one who turned me on to this. So I feel like you can kind of explain how you got turned on to um, the uniqueness, if you will, of the of the version that you picked up. Sure. So, so uh, again, you know, like for a long time, this record was was you know just kind of a one tracker, and um, even when I started listening to it and appreciated it more, I still really wasn't thinking that much of it and had no idea there was anything special about the copy that I had until I was doing a fundraiser show at Calix with Matthew Africa in the early 2000s and um, I was playing something from this record during the show and we were talking about our shared love of Small Talk and particularly of Can't Strain My Brain, which is uh, the song that I was mentioning earlier. That's that's probably my, my favorite song from Sly and Matthew always loved the horns on that song too. And then uh, I mentioned how I also loved the drum break on Time For Living and started to play it for him uh, and Matthew just got this look on his face <laughs> where it was clear he had never heard what I was playing for him before. Which, and for anyone who had ever had the the honor and the privilege to have uh, crossed paths with Matthew Africa, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago uh, from a car accident, it is very, very difficult to stump Matthew because, uh, you know, for folks like you and me, Michael, who grew up around him in the Bay Area because we were all DJs at KALX uh, radio station at UC Berkeley. I mean, Matthew was just such a guru and in, in, in ways incredibly under the radar, but he was so influential on so many people and just knew so much. And so the the idea that you would place him something that he didn't know about is, again, it's kind of mind-blowing to me because to me, uh, Matthew was someone who always knew everything. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and so... Like I didn't get that look from Matthew very often 
Um, and so like, as soon as, as that happened, like he immediately kind of went over and started checking out the, the, the cover and the label, getting into detective mode, trying to figure out why this copy was different. And he noticed that it was a Canadian press. And so then I was just kind of thinking that it was just something that happened in Canada and just the Canadian presses had different mixes. Um, but then you were more recently looking for, for this copy and you tracked down a Canadian press that didn't have these either. And so my thinking now is that this must have been an early promo. And between when the actual record was pressed uh, and this promo was sent out that either Sly changed his mind on the masters or, or somebody, I really have no idea, but even when they reissued this album with additional alternate versions, um, the ones that are on this copy were not the ones that were included. So these mixes are pretty much only on this pressing. So let's go back to that track that Matthew perked his head and gave you that look about, which is Time for Living. This is the version that for the vast majority of people who are at all familiar with this album and song, this is the version that you would have heard. And now this is the version that appeared on the LP that you picked up, which is this, as we'll talk more about in a moment, a very specific Canadian press. That is a really big difference. Though I believe the song itself, the remainder of it, is more or less the same. There might be other subtle differences, but the biggest difference is just that intro drum break with the studio chatter. And I can imagine someone who is used to the, what I'll describe as the mainstream version of the song, if they were to hear this alt mix, would be completely flummoxed by it in the way that I suppose Matthew Africa was because it's just, it doesn't exist on that mainstream version. Listening to stuff with hip hop ears, like you kind of wish that they kind of just shut up and the drums were just kind of clean. But, but at the same time, like it's, it is, it's so striking when you hear the single version, um, which is a little bit different than the, the, LP, the original LP version, if memory serves correct, but like just both of them basically start off with the, the bass line when it finally kicks in and the actual song. And, and yeah, so like that, that drum break and the chatter is long and not found on anything else, which is which still just trips me out. Just to warn audiences, we are about to get into some deep record nerdery right here. 
But Michael, you had mentioned earlier that I had found a different Canadian press of this album that did not have the alternative mixes. And this came about because I went looking for the same copy that you had, and I only found online information that says that there's this one Canadian press. I didn't find info in multiple Canadian presses, so I just assumed it had to be the right one. I got it in the mail and started listening to the the tracks, and I didn't hear a difference between the versions on the Canadian press I got in and the mainstream version of Small Talk. So the next step was to just immediately text you out of the blue and say, hey, Michael, that Canadian Small Talk issue that you told me about all those years ago, what are the matrix numbers on your version? And for those unfamiliar, if you pick up a a vinyl record, and this could be on 45 or it can be a 12-inch size, it doesn't really matter, right outside of where the sticker label goes is an area that's known as the dead wax. Record grooves don't go in there, but someone can inscribe or stamp information there, which usually tells you something about the catalog number. Uh, It might give an indication of where the record was pressed or when it was pressed. But in any case, matrix matrix numbers are unique to specific pressings. And so if my version, the, the copy that I got in from Canada, didn't have the same mixes as Michael's version, then what I would expect is that the matrix numbers would be different. And indeed, when he texted me back, they were different. So now I knew, okay, there's at least two Canadian pressings. And what confuses this even further is that I also sent a picture of what the label looked like and Michael indicated, well, the labels look the same, which means that basically the only way that I could track down the correct version of the album that I was looking for, the correct pressing, was I had to then send information on the matrix code to prospective sellers just to verify that their copy had matching matrix numbers. And that, like I said, that is a a deep level of record nerdery that sometimes you have to go to. What I will say is I did get in the correct version of the LP, which is to say the same version that you have, Michael. And I noticed in the same way that you found on your copy, there is a small pinhole that has been punched through one of the corners. And usually this is a sign that this copy was held out of conventional commercial sales. So I think this would actually speak to your theory that maybe this version was an early promo copy that Epic Records, who released the album, ended up replacing with the same version of the songs that every other country, including the U.S., would have released uh, the versions uh, that we, we now know as the mainstream versions of Small Talk. Yeah, I mean it's 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 still weird. Like you'll you'll run into things that are like mispressings or but most of that's like uh superficial, you know, like you'll run into a record that has the side A is is either printed on both sides or the record actually has the same two sides on both, you know, like m- mistakes like that you find. Um but like stuff like this where you actually have different songs that don't show up anywhere else like that that is a a fairly rare one so we've been talking about time for living because that i think has the most dramatic difference between the the mainstream version and this canadian version but it's not the only difference in alternative mixes on this canadian press right so what else is different so so and this is you know again this is like top shelf record nerdery kind of compare contrasting because uh, the differences on the other songs that uh, that I've noticed are, are fairly subtle uh, and interestingly it's it's the the kind of three last three songs so the song before time for living and the song after time for living um, with the one before which is mother beautiful um, again they're very slight differences the track uh, on this copy begins when sly says check 
feels to me like the strings are brighter in this mix or the vocals might have been brought up in the regular release. Uh, and then finally, uh, with this version of Mother Beautiful, it also fades out just a little earlier. And so you miss uh, a Mother Beautiful at the very end. So that's Mother Beautiful. And then there's some differences with uh, Can't Strain My Brain, which is probably one of the songs uh, besides the one that the Beastie Boys sampled you mentioned earlier. Can't Strain My Brain, I think, is the other song that people, I think, if they know anything off of Small Talk, they know this track. such a such a great track this i mean it's i could we could do a whole podcast just on this track it's so so amazing with can't strain my brain there are there are more differences but again they're they're really really subtle and so uh again it cuts out some of the studio chatter at the very beginning of the track and so this version starts right on the first drum beat um there's interestingly this really loud sigh that must be from from sly stone that you can hear on this version that you can't hear on the other one before the bass comes in. Um, the horn lines on this version during the second verse are also different. There's a, a moment where you get like an extra organ solo during the second refrain or chorus. And then again with this one, it fades out early. It fades out about 20 seconds early. If you read anything about Sly in this era, he was spending a lot of time tinkering in the studio with different instruments and arrangements and compositions. So it's not surprising that there would be all of these alternative mixes somewhere out there in the vaults. And the case of Small Talk is not unique in his catalog because I believe, uh, Michael, you were telling me that there is also an alternate mix version of the album Fresh, which came before Small Talk. You know, when they did all these reissues, um, there was a lot of alternate versions on each of the reissues from the early studio recordings all the way through the 70s. But with Fresh, there also is a, another kind of weird mystery anomaly where there was a, a reissue CD that was sent out as a promo to radio stations 
but then was recalled because people realized basically it was a, an alternate version of almost the entire record. But Calix, yet again, uh, had a copy of that version. And that thing is is a trip because, again, it's almost the entire album that has like a different mix. And again, some of the changes are really subtle, um, but then they're really substantial. Babies Making Babies on on this version of Fresh is like it's a completely different arrangement and it's at a faster tempo. Like it's a really, really different version. So this is Babies Making Babies off of the mainstream version of Fresh. This is the version that appears on this alternate. And you said it was an alternate CD and alt- or alternate LP. Mm-hmm. CD was what Calix had. Maybe I should not be giving this away to our listeners here, but there uh, on Discogs, there is an LP version of Fresh where it says, someone had, who put it up basically said, this is the one that has the different alternate mixes. Now, they didn't say specifically the different alternate mixes that appeared on the CD reissue. All it says is this one has different alternate mixes of the songs on Fresh. So I'm wondering if now this is a, a new wrinkle, which is to track down that LP and then compare it with the versions <laughs> that are on the CD that you're talking about. <laughs> Man, this never ends. <laughs> this record stuff, it never ends. Oh my God. It makes me think of some of the tinkering that Kanye was doing, especially I think with um, Life of Pablo, mm. where he releases this version online. And then several days later, a week later, he basically says, all right, I didn't like some of the mixes here. Here's now the new version. And then he keeps tinkering with stuff changing things along the way. It does feel like a very sly stonish process, which means that you can have multiple versions of Life of Pablo that the differences may not be massive, but they are different versions, which then calls into the question then, well, what is considered to be official? Is it the first one? Is it the one the artist says, no, this is the real one? Uh, and so what it tells us, I think, I'm not to get all like, you know, music studies thinking about this, is that this idea that there is somehow like an original or authentic release, I think it's really called into question because when you can have all of these multiple versions floating out there in the world, they're all authentic in a certain way because they were all created by the same artist. And if the artist chooses to tinker here and there, it doesn't delegitimize one version or the other. Yeah, not not in the least. It um in in you know, it makes some sense that Kanye would be the kind of person to do that because he has in some ways kind of a similar mystique that uh that Sly did as well and does even still. Um and so like I think that's kind of the thing. Like it just adds to uh the mystery and the the power and the legend of uh of an artist like this that there are these kind of like almost like hidden versions, just kind of waiting for super fans and super record nerds to to discover and bring out into the light. Uh, yeah, it's just amazing. Well said. 
And I think that's as good of a wrap-up as I can imagine. Michael, thanks so much for joining me today. Where can folks find you online? So I'm, I'm still on Instagram at, uh, at meltingpot underscore Michael, but I haven't posted in years. Um, but I'm still posting music and mixes at meltingpotblog.com. And, uh, and so you can find me there for sure in the years to come. And uh, it's always a pleasure chopping things up with you, Oliver. Same here. And good luck with the rest of the semester in making the transition to, quote, alternate teaching, <laughs> uh, unquote. These, we live in unusual times, but I really hope you're persevering and, um, and trying to get through this as best as, as all of us are trying. Indeed. And you as well. This sidebar is a production of myself, Oliver Wong, for soul-sides.com. Be sure to check out my regular podcast, Running Weekly, Heat Rocks. You can find it on iTunes and Spotify. I do it with Morgan Rhodes, and you can get more information at heatrockspod.com.